Welcome to your Daily Dose. I'm Nick. This is episode 100, or in Roman talk, episode C. It just doesn't have the same impact. I picked a few of my favorites from the last couple of months for you to enjoy. Getting to record with Bob Codges is an incredible experience, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you. Enjoy. I have a question for you. Ask me. I was thinking about the dog person versus cat person. Mm. And that got me thinking about who would be better at improv, a dog person or a cat person, (laughs) which led me to, and we can argue about that if that's even an argument, it's a discussion. Uh, What it got me thinking of is what animals would be good at improv. So I started with dogs versus cats. Yeah. Because I think cats would be better at improv because they're they're agents of chaos yeah right and but there is some order there are some rules to improv yeah well, so dogs can follow mm, rules yeah here's how i'd look at it dogs are better improvisers than cats yeah i know because i've taught both and here's why you've taught dogs and cats yes and the cats are is this something dim- new is this partic- are you no i've been doing news? it i've been doing it since i was young i just didn't call it that okay uh i called it living with them but i would do so by imposing random things in their lives that would cause them to respond okay and the range uh, of comfort in a cat is very narrow the range of comfort in a dog is very wide. See, you can do very few things to a cat yeah. without throwing it out of its comfort zone, but you can do almost anything to a dog and it's comfortable and as it's, long yes, as you're near you. it. So as long as you're near it, which by the way, improv requires proximity, dog's going to be a better improviser. Now, so a dog is all about yes and. Oh, you better believe it. A oh my cat is no thank you to right. just about everything. And we call it wags and hisses because... You know, dogs, yes, and is a wag, and the cat's hell no is a hiss. So if you're if you're hearing anything in a dog-cat scene, usually it's a bad sign. Uh, dogs don't like to play with cats much because, I'll be honest with you, cats are kind of assholes in an improv scene. They're always pulling out They're guns. They're improv. They're always pretending to kill people. Yeah. They're always um, saying no to what the other performers want. So I don't have many cats in my troupe right now. Any other animals you think would be good? Oh, uh, just for cute. Like, would you, would you sell out and just have some animals in your troop just because they're cute? Like some alpacas. Mm, yeah, we tried that bunny with rabbits. pandas before, but I'll be honest with you, cute gets you about a minute into a scene, and then yeah. like they get nothing. They're laying on the floor chewing on their toes. So right. I feel like we gotta go beyond cute to where the real talent is. And I'll tell you the truth, from what I've seen, squirrels squirrels can improvise their asses off yeah yeah i mean i like literally like their tails fall off no no but i mean but they can the the way they work those tails in order to introduce new and interesting things to a scene it's nuts really i just think the panda i i can see the panda on stage feeling like it's very one note going okay i just need a suggestion Okay, I heard bamboo. Bamboo is going to be a part of this. Okay, scene. yeah, something is that adds, what that, happens? that that's one of many ways that they pander to the audience. I used to get sick quite a bit uh, as like a kid. Three, four. To- oh, as a kid, a ton. Yeah, but even in my adult life, like up until about six, seven years ago, 
Mm. Uh, maybe a little bit longer, but I would get like really sick three, four times a year. Wow, that's like, almost like super sickly. bad cold. Yeah, and so I was like, okay, this year I'm going to try something new. I'm going to do three things differently. I'm going to try to exercise on a regular basis, mm-hmm. at least three times a week. Nice. Vitamins. Yeah. Supplements. And I'm going to wash my hands more. Yeah. And I fell off the exercise bandwagon more than once, <laughs> as we all do. I fell off the multivitamin bandwagon more than once. Yeah. But I kept washing my hands and I got sick way less. So now I feel like I've turned into a germaphobe a little bit. Well, you're being prudent. I mean, you found a cause and effect. You wash yeah. your hands, you get sick less. That seems to me to be just prudent action. You know, I've learned this about myself, so now I'm going to do this in order to survive. I think as a species, we have to do things like that. And uh, and good for you for sharing it with everybody that this is something that works. Listeners, wash those hands. I, it wasn't something just random. Yes, right. it, absolutely. I will vouch for you to wash your hands. If anybody says to you, Bob, you're washing your hands too much. Call me and I will talk to that person. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story in my life. I was at a restaurant, the 99 in Massachusetts with my father and my brother. And I'm in the bathroom and I'm at the urinal doing my business. When an older man comes into the room, he walks right behind me, does his business quick and then heads back towards the door without even stopping at the sink. And so... To my, you know, shock and his utter devastation, I said, hey, buddy, you forgot to wash your hands. And he turns and he looks at me like angry, like, and he says, who are you to tell me to wash my hands? And I'm like, I'm the next guy that's going to reach for that doorknob. I'm thinking that's kind of logical. And I'm saying it like that kind of playfully, like, hey, man, I'm the next guy that's going to reach for that doorknob. And he doubles down and he says, you get no power over me. So now I'm mad and now I'm done with my business and I'm walking to the sinks and I say, I have no power. I have the power to find you and your family in the restaurant and tell them that you didn't wash your hands after you used the restroom. And I will do that. How old were you at this point? I was a full-blown adult. This okay. was only like like five years ago. Okay. <laughs> I had never intended to even engage the guy, but it came out of my mouth. And then it when just, he responded that way. It was just like, an. did you even think before you said it? It was just kind no, of a response? No. So he ended up washing his hands right in front of me. And he's muttering while he's washing his hands. Well, I was going to wash him later. Like that was going to do anything for anybody, right? I go out to the table when my father and brother are waiting for me and I tell them the story and my father's like you're lucky he didn't shoot you and I thought probably but there is one more clean set of hands in this restaurant thanks to me I was like I was a hand washing hero I did more than wash my own hands I washed someone else's try that oh we should all be going around washing other people's hands Is there anything you're hoping doesn't come back? Like I'm thinking about shaking hands. Like I still, I like you, I miss hugs. Yeah. But I'm good with us never shaking hands again or it being more okay to not shake hands now. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Although I, I think a good handshake, I don't know, for some reason it kicks it off for me with another human being. Just feeling yeah. somebody's hand in my hand and looking at them in the eye, feeling their grip. I, it's it's a silly thing because it's not like you can really tell that much about a person from it. But yeah, I, I mean, I'd be willing to give it up if it's going to make the world a safer place. Uh, you know, you may find me touching you in other places because, you know, 
do you want to do like a Vulcan mind meld? Is that how you want to oh. interact with person for the first time? Sometimes I feel like that's what happens the first time. You really, you ever, <laughs> you ever connect with somebody first meeting, right? Okay. You ever have somebody like enter your mind and you enter their mind and you're like, Oh wow, this is one of, oh, yeah. one of my people. Like who? Tell me a story. Uh, I think it was just recently I was talking to someone um, working at this new job at the heavy and you meet somebody and you can't wait to tell them everything. Like you're talking faster <laughs> and you're just in this mode of like this conversation could go on for an hour and a half and it would feel like four minutes. Nice. Good. And that's so much fun when that happens. And, you know, there is I don't know if it's like a pheromone thing because it's almost like, you know, immediately that this is a person that you're going to connect with. Pheromone. That's a, yeah. It just that's to me is just like, I don't know. A pheromone thing. I, I get nervous about that. It's like, I, Do you? I don't want someone smelling my pheromones. I, you know, I want some things. But, I want control over that. But I still like. But what if you have, what if you have matching pheromones with somebody? Yeah. So does that mean that relationships are preordained though? By, based on biology? That seems a little scary to me too. Uh, it could be that you're more predisposed to some people than others, and that could be. It, it also, I mean, I'm joking about pheromones. I don't know that it's pheromones, but <laughs> it's it could also be the way somebody approaches you. Like if they're, if you're, if somebody walks up to you and their arms are crossed, or you have to walk up to somebody, their arms are crossed, they're standoffish. Yeah, you know, you're probably not going to connect with that person as well as somebody who meets you halfway arms open and a smile on their face that sort of thing yeah it's like a formula actually and I, I do like that concept that that we have you know we have certain curves to our puzzle pieces and when other people show up and they fit those curves it feels right and feels good uh yeah I, and i don't get mean to get weird about the preordained biological connectors uh, i know there are certain things because if there weren't those things then why wouldn't we be attracted to horses I'll be, yeah. which I'll be honest with you. I am. Those are just magnificent, beautiful animals. I'm not sexually attracted to horses. I'm just sure. I'm just like, I look at them and I think these are the most gorgeous things. They were what inspired me to start drawing. So just a little thing about horses. We found out how much I love trees and now horses. Uh, I think. So what you're saying is horses are, I mean, they're horrifying, huge beasts and we shouldn't be. So obviously they have some sort of power to make us attracted to them. That's what I'm hearing you say. I believe that that's true. It's the lore of the horse. I believe <laughs> I believe that horses have some... Look at the size of their eyes. Look at their beautiful rumps. Come on. Those were designed to attract us, to draw us in. The beautiful hair on their tails and their manes. It all says, come hither and give me an apple. It's nature, baby. Yep. Yep. That is 100% what nature is. <laughs> can't remember if we talked about this we talked a little bit about picasso but mm. how did you feel about dali oh i adore dali i actually have oh, okay. i have a um a reprint of his hallucinogenic toreador yes in my house because i love all of the different things that he's planted in there one of the things that i like about dali is that he um he's very clever and he's such a 
great artist that everything that he wants to work in, whether it's, you know, roses uh, as the center of a woman's eyes or, you know, it's looks so natural from one perspective. somewhere in there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And his love is yeah. Christopher Columbus. If you've ever seen that giant oh, piece yeah, yeah, of work, yeah. incredible. Um, he was, <laughs> to be honest, the thing I love most about Dali is he was mad. Even though he said the only difference between him and a mad man is that he's not mad. Mm-hmm. Look into those eyes and tell me that he was not mad in some Look into way. that mustache. Right. Well, that was an attention getter. That was a, that was a brand, right? I think so were the, the whites of his eyes. Yeah. That, that was his look and his way. And he wasn't afraid to be absurd. He also had a series of phenomenal photographs yeah. uh, shot still with water spilling out of goblets real time. I mean, incredible photographs that he captured and then painted them. And uh, I, I appreciate almost everything that he does. So I take it that you've been to St. Pete and you've been oh, to the yeah. museum there oh, yeah. maybe more than once. Oh, yeah. And I've seen his exhibit in uh, in London. There was a mashup between him and Picasso that we just stumbled into because it was raining and we got off the eye and it was incredible. Oh, man. It was I so bet. good. Yeah. I was curious what you would think because with that much meaning, with that much symbolism, is it like, could you look at that reprint uh, that you have of uh, the uh, the Toreador mm-hmm. and have as much appreciation having not seen it in person or having somebody like I will glom on to the tour every time I go there? <laughs> yeah, because it's not every be time tours. I'll hear something different. Yeah, that I didn't realize about one of the pieces. Yeah, I don't. I don't think you need to know all that to love what he does. Yeah. But I think once you know all that, it, it changes the dimensions of what you're looking at. And I like to look at art uh, and consider the intention of the artist. I like to I like to imagine what they're trying to achieve with this because I create art. And when you see that much intention, it feels like a gift to you, you know, the viewer, that they took that much time to work that in there so that when we discover it, we can have that feeling of joy. You know, my son's a, a video game software engineer, and I think he does the same thing with some of the games that he works on. He's, he's in gameplay, so he wants to make sure that people are delighted while they're playing these games. And I feel like Dolly did that with his art. Yeah. He's, I want, he's thinking to us and saying, I want them to be delighted when they find this stuff. And some of this stuff, they'll never find. And I love that too, because it puts you on a quest to try to you know, see all that's in there. It's really cool. Right, because he didn't necessarily write down everything that was involved in each of his oh, paintings. No. Oh, no. And the layers upon layers. I bet there are probably dozens and dozens of Dali paintings that have amazing Dali paintings underneath them. Yeah. Uh, There was one, too, I think that, and I can't remember which one it was, but there it was a commission. And so he painted it for this rich couple who bought a lot of his pieces um, who he and his uh, his love would his muse yeah. would dine with them when they traveled and stuff, and if I remember the story correctly, if I'm wrong, uh, please I apologize to uh, Dolly and all of his fans, but there was this shell that he painted on it or something that looked like a, a shell, this round thing, mm-hmm. and she didn't like it. She wanted him to paint over it, and he's like, no. And so <laughs> later on, Sputnik goes up. And she goes to him, oh, that's what your intention was to sort of show this, this space race. The, and he's like, that's exactly right. <laughs> 
post-facto justification in the art world is a real thing. I love that. And, and guess what? Look at the titles of art and you'll see post-facto justification. You know, you, you could paint a picture of a, a beautiful woman in the middle of a garden, but then you give it the title clown. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, okay, what does this mean? This beautiful woman in this beautiful garden and it's called clown. You start looking for the things that relate. Oh, wait, he only used clown colors to paint this painting. Or, you know, you, you find ways to, to... Or he's a misogynist, yeah. Right, right. Okay, so just... <laughs> that, that, it, so I think that's really fun to see how people decide to title their work. Uh, at least Dolly gives you something to look at. Some of these other modern artists, it's a white panel. Right. You know, right. And, it, and they name it Desolation. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. You know, you work more harder on the title than you did the painting. Uh, when it comes to names, there's a local artist, uh, Kelly Joy Ladd. Oh. She does. Um, she uh, a few years ago, uh, her husband uh, was diagnosed with, I want to say, Lyme disease or something that uh, gave him an allergic reaction to a lot of different chemicals. So at the time, she was painting just little things here and there, but the chemicals in the paint, she couldn't paint anymore. Oh. So she had to find something else to sort of scratch this creative itch she was teaching at the time. And so she started tearing. She found out that there's certain glues that are okay, don't have the chemicals that he's allergic to. So she started tearing pieces of paper, cutting pieces of paper, and putting them on canvas. Oh. And it was quite remarkable. But what uh, had her on the show a couple of times now, and I saw a lot of her pieces out and about, and like thousands of pieces of paper. I to think I might have seen More her than like, work. She's a local artist. A lot yeah. of her stuff has been up on social media. Uh, she and a lot of uh, other local artists had a thing at the Manello a couple of years ago. Did she do something at Snap as well? Did she? Have yeah, I think yes. so. Yeah. I, I have seen her work. It's extraordinary. But all of her stuff, if you read the uh, uh, the titles, are almost to almost all of them. I, I don't want to say all of them, but have something to do with. Uh, celestial bodies, oh, yes. interstellar stuff. Because when she was studying uh, at school, uh, before she went into whatever she ended up going into, she really liked astronomy. Mm. She was super into that stuff. I love how that works its way yeah. into her art. That's... And so when you see like, uh, you know, something about uh, Europa, I think was one of her pieces. And Europa is one of the moons of Jupiter and it's supposed to be very cold and icy and then that piece has another meaning to it. Yeah, yeah. When you see that. So it's not just this beautiful paper yeah, pattern. I think and she's created. starting with the title thought. She uh, starts with the idea. If I remember correctly, it's like a little bit of a combination. Sometimes yeah. the sometimes the name come to, comes to her afterwards. I love that she was forced to change her art yeah. by some variable. I have a friend, Phil Hansen, who's amazing, did an incredible Any TED relation? Talk. Uh, to the, the band Hanson? Sure. <laughs> no, I don't I think so. I feel like I should start asking that more. Yeah. <laughs> Any relation? And then you have to scramble like, like what other Hanson do you know? And Phil Hanson is a, an amazing artist and he started out as uh, an artist who uh, who specializes in pointillism. Okay. And that's applying little dots. Yep. So a billion little dots applied in the right distance from each other and you can create an incredible photo real work. Except for that Phil, and he tells us in his TED Talk, uh, developed a, uh, a nervous twitch in his heart and his hand. And so all of his dots had little tails. So he could not continue to, to create the art the way that he was creating the art because it takes extraordinary precision. Sure. So he goes to his doctor and he says, hey, I need your help. I got this, this 
tremor, this shake. And I can't do my art with that shake. You have to help me. And after some diagnostics, the doctor comes back to him and he says, um, my best advice for you is you need to embrace the shake. And then Phil Hansen exploded artistically exploded his his original drawings pointillism were very nice the stuff he created afterwards was incredible he created a portrait of bruce lee out of karate chops put the ink on the sides of his hand and then chopped the canvas until he has a picture of bruce lee sitting up there he's created portraits of people out of pasta that he's chewed up and spit onto the canvas he's built incredible 3d structures that when you look at from one direction it shows one face when you look at from another direction it shows another face he painted I think it was something like 70 portraits on his torso, one on top of the other. This thing was an inch thick when all the paint was done and when he peeled it off, but incredible series of portraits so that he made himself the art. And the point is, had he not embraced the shake, had he not taken his limitation and made it his art and really ran at it, he would never have encountered all this art. And I feel like the same is true for your artist friend as well, where she was painting stuff and doing stuff, but she probably found much more of her groove when she was released from the cage that she put herself in artistically. And all of a sudden now she's seeing other possibilities. And I just feel like that's so cool and relatable that when you run into a wall, most often you just want to stop. But instead, these people turned around and said, I'm going to choose another direction and see how that works. And it turns out to be cooler than where they were in the first place, right? It was very cool. It was very fun. But one of the exercises that I gave them was called Experts. Okay. And it was actually taught to me by my friend, Gert Garman, who's an amazing facilitator. Do you know Gert? Yeah. 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 So I was Gert's RA. Uh, One of my (laughs) proudest uh, dormites in the school. And so I I did this exercise called experts. And one of the experts, this is working its way back to Chia Pets, was that you're a Chia Pet farmer. Uh, And so what you have to do is you have groups of four people, two couples in this case, and you give them the suggestion of the specific expert and one person gets to be that expert and everyone else has to ask them questions about that expertise and believe everything that comes out of their mouth. And then you watch these okay. people who know nothing about being a chia pet farmer. I also had a person who teaches elephants to paint. Uh, that's a Gert Garman one. Uh, a person who created invisible wallpaper, another Gertie, and a clown sex therapist. Uh, and I let them decide whether they were going to be a sex therapist who dresses as a clown yeah. or a sex therapist for, for the profession clowns. of clowns. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, Chia Pet Farmers, they uh, they enjoyed that. It's amazing to see how people react when you give them the guarantee that everyone's going to believe them. Wait, so does everybody else know what they are or are they guessing? No, what happens is I put it up on the screen and I say, okay, player A, you are this expert. Other players start asking them questions and believe everything they say. And then wow. they go into it. And the thing That's is you fun. watch these people throw this bull around to each other. It was just, a, and the others receiving it so joyfully and so honestly, like yeah. they really bought it. And uh, it was a moment. It was a beautiful moment. Imagine if in your marriage, you just automatically decided, I'm going to believe everything that comes out of my spouse's mouth and support them and ask questions about that and be fascinated by it. And I think it would be a different marriage, right? What other kind of, uh, so this was uh, the class for couples. What other kind of exercises did you have them do? Uh, we did Zip Zap Zop because that's a classic. That's a one, yeah. you know, it's just a great game about paying attention to each other mm-hmm. and forgiving each other. And uh, we did uh, Tiger Alien Salesman. 
Uh, actually, in this case, because I was doing couples, I made it four, Tiger Alien Salesman Cow. And, uh, and what you have to do is you put them in groups of four and you introduce those four characters, tiger, alien, salesman, cow, and each one has a sound. And, you know, like the tiger goes, Rawr! and the alien goes, take me to your leader, putting your fingers over your head. And then the salesman says, hi there, and extends a handshake. And what you do is you put them all back to back and then you give them a countdown from three and you ask them to offer each other one of those four characters. And they do it and they have fun and then you have them go back to back again and this time you give them the challenge without talking to each other of trying to come up with the same character. So you watch them and I give them a little time to get inside their heads uh, and really kind of work with each other without using words. Yeah. And, uh, and then I unleash them on each other. And if they pull this stupid little task off, you would think that they actually saw the face of God. They were so excited. It was, they were elated. And, you know, it's like giving them a potato for a prize. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. it had no worth until they decided that was the prize, right? But and then that, it was a prize. Yeah, well, that, the prize was intention mm-hmm. because they unleashed that energy because they actually intended to do something together. And the energy that you have when you try to collaborate with somebody you really want to is different than when you're just going about the motion. So that, that, that was to demonstrate to them the power of intention because in any relationship, that's where it starts. You intend to be somebody for that other person or be you know, whoever you are with that person. Uh, so anyways, it's kind of fun, interesting exercise. As stupid as it sounds. It no, no, point. not at all. You sound like you're really excited about the work that you did. <laughs> I no, I do, because I love this stuff. You're I, talking like in a, in a manner that is just crazy. Yeah, you, you had it, you had them in your hand. They were all willing, it sounds oh, like. Well, and this is the thing. You have to get them warm before they're willing. I think that goes for pretty much any crowd anywhere. You know, once people are warm, they're more receptive to your ideas. Yep. And in the improv world, you're introducing some pretty stupid ideas. And when I say stupid, I mean wonderfully stupid. Yeah. So, so you can unleash your fear of looking stupid by intentionally doing stupid stuff. Well, we've talked about it before. It's like in wrestling, the first thing you have to learn in professional wrestling and the performance type of thing, yeah. you have to learn to fall. Learn to fall. Which is the thing that you have spent your life avoiding. Yeah. Well, you know something, and yet it's the first thing we do, right? Yeah. And it's the first thing we do and probably the last. You know, so I, I feel like, you know, this is this learning to fall thing. That's a, that's still a thing for me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and guess what? Once you figure out how to fail and, and be okay with it, then you don't fear the failure. You know, you kind of welcome that stuff. I want to bring it full circle to fail in front of your significant other. Uh, well, and that's, guess what? That was one of the challenges of doing the couples. Yeah. Was, was that uh, they had to be willing to look stupid in front of each other. But what I found was the longer the relationship, the more that was just not an issue at all. I mean, not an <laughs> issue. I, we had really old couples there. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, coming in with walkers and canes. Uh, and they were so playful and so free of any concern about screwing up in front of each other or me. You know, they didn't care about that either. We actually had one set of couples. I think it was six people who showed up thinking that we were putting on an improv show for couples. And then when oh, I said, no, okay. no, you are the show. They said, no, we're not. And they left. Oh, no. <laughs> hey, you got to improvise, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, they did. And guess what? I would rather them go. I said to them, go enjoy your Valentine's, however you want to enjoy your Valentine's. I'd rather have you do that than be here and not get what you were hoping for. Yeah, yeah you know, for sure. Who wants to be disappointed on Valentine's Day? Oh, no one. No one. Oh, sorry. (laughs) I didn't know if that was a rhetorical question.
Hey, Nick, I just want you to know that I love you and I love playing with you this way. You are a genuinely terrific partner and I'm learning more and more a genuinely terrific human. I really have no idea what will come of this fun experiment in the long view of history, but I'm enjoying thinking and talking with you a lot. I promise I'll become a better interviewer because my favorite of our shows have lovely balance and interplay and shared airtime. That's the best. I also invite you to grab the mic more often and more aggressively because your ideas are fun and playful and hilarious and sometimes touching and profound and sincere. All I'm saying is more of that and more of all this. Happy 100, brother. Here's to 1,000 more. Love you.